turn to Romans chapter 11, picking up in verse 25 from where we were last time. This will be our third message on chapter 11. There's probably at least two more. And uh, to get through this section, we've been going through chapters 9, 10, and 11, which are a unit where the Lord is telling us what He is doing in history and encouraging us that God keeps His promises and that everything is right on plan. It's headed according to His schedule, not ours. As we go into this and pick up reading in 25, I just want to remind us of the heart that we see of the pastor here in 9, 10, and 11 as he says in chapter 9 that he has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for those of the Jews that had rejected Christ and had not believed yet. He says that again in Romans 10. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And then he begins in chapter 11 and says, Does this mean God has cast away the Jews? And he says, No, I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away His people, which He foreknew. And He's going in and telling us some of the great mystery behind what the Lord is doing in history. And then we will pick up in verse 25, and we'll go ahead and read through the end of the chapter, probably only make it down to uh, verse 33 today. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, the mystery of what He's doing in history with Jews and Gentiles. I would not... Have you ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in? And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as you in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Let us pray. Father, we just thank You for your mercy, and we thank you for your word that you have written and recorded this infallible, precious word whereby you tell us all things that we need to know about salvation, about your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired these words and that you are here in the room now communicating these words to us and helping us to understand I pray, Lord, that you would just bless us now with preaching and hearing grace in this hour, that Jesus' name would be lifted up and magnified. In Christ's name, amen. 
What is the time that you live in right now? <clears throat> you live in the time of mercy to Gentiles. And here in these words, the lover of your soul is showing you what he is doing in the world. You know, when a husband and wife have special times together of talking and communicating, it's a blessed time. It's a blessed time. Sometimes they'll lay in bed or drink coffee together at the kitchen table and they'll talk about the day. They'll talk about the kids. They'll talk about concerns they have for brothers and sisters to pray for. They'll talk about the upcoming calendar events going on. And that's a precious, intimate communication. We see that also between friends, between parents and children. Well, right here in these words, the lover of your soul is whispering sweet things to you and telling you what he's doing in the world so that you will not be overcome by all of the madness that you read about that's going on in the world. He's telling you things so that you might understand. Here are some of the sweet whisperings that he's given to you in chapter 11. You will never be cast away from my presence, so be humble. You will sometimes think you are cast away. Be faithful. You are reserved as a holy remnant. Be grateful. You see and hear and understand things that others don't. Be amazed. You have a feast always before you. Be filled. You are reserved by God in mercy and grace, being given the ability to see and hear and understand truth so that your faith can feast on Christ who is our table in the wilderness of this world. That was our first message on chapter 11. And we talked last time about you stand by faith in, his present, in this present time. Right now, you stand by faith and you rejoice to know the mercy of God toward you during this time of the Gentiles. And you look forward to the day whenever the Jews in mass will come to receive Christ as their Savior. You're beloved and God is whispering these things to you on the pillow of your heart. So rejoice that He is telling you these secrets. Imagine if you were taken in the confidence of uh, a great king or leader of the world and told about all the secrets of the things that were going on there. That would be a privilege. Well, you are brought into the secret place of the Most High where you abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And He is communicating to you through these words precious mysteries of truth so that you might be amazed that He would tell you such things. In John 15, 15, Jesus said this to His disciples. He said, From now on I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. I've made known to you in this love letter, this Bible that is written to you. Today Paul is summarizing in verses 25 here, through 
31, a lot of what he's already said in the parable of the branches being broken off and branches being grafted in. The main thing I would have you take away today is that you live in a time of mercy, a mercy to Gentiles, and your lover is showing you what he is doing. So what is it he's showing you today in this room through these words? He wants you to know the mystery of redemptive history. He says here, For I would not, brethren, in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You must know this mystery. He wants you to understand it. For I would not. Paul as a preacher says, I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, brethren. I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, brethren. That word brethren there is a combination of two words, which means connected by birth or connected in the womb. All of those who are born of the Spirit are connected in the womb of love by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of resurrection. And He wants you to know what He is doing in the world so that you will be encouraged and not afraid. What does He want you to know? He wants you to know this mystery. For I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, which He's already been explaining that we went over last time, how for 2,000 years now, the door has been closed to the Jews. I talked to you last time about how only 2% of 9 million people over in Israel today claim to be believers. I talked to you that before that, thousands of years of history, Gentiles were not included in redemptive history. Now there were some. We have Ruth, we have Rahab, we have Jonah sent to Nineveh where there were people who repented. But it was only a small number. Now we live in the day where that door was closed to them and it's been opened to the Gentiles. And we see for the last 2,000 years how the Gentiles are being brought in. This is the mystery that he wants you to know, what God is doing in history. We still don't understand all of it. I mean, this is a difficult chapter. We talked about that before. It's one of the most challenging chapters in the Romans letter. But he wants you to know as much as you can grasp and understand Y'all remember the text in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, Secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. He's revealing secret, precious things to you in Romans 11 that He is doing in the world. And He wants you to know that, that you live in this time of grace. John the Baptist came preaching and he said, The Lord is gathering into His barn. He's gathering into His barn. The Lord is reaping souls off of this planet every day. He does it different ways. He's been doing it through a pandemic over the last two years. In fact, I read a headline uh, where it said that This year, 100,000 elderly people will die from COVID or something like that in the United States. And I was thinking, wait a minute. All elderly people will die eventually. And he wants you to know that there is this Lord who's harvesting souls. And John the Baptist said he's reaping them into his barn. God is in that process of doing that now. He sends forth ambassadors to call 
His children out of the four winds of heaven into this kingdom of the church. And one day He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff where He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. These are the truths He wants you to know. And 2 Corinthians 6.2, there's an ultimate truth that He wants you to know about mystery. The mystery of the times of Jews and Gentiles is laid out in chapter 11. And the end of that is that you might know this mystery. He says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, I'm sorry, uh, Colossians 1.26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest. It's now revealed to His saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's the mystery that He's making known now in Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The great mystery. There's several times Paul will use that phrase, mystery. And we've talked in time past about, aren't we all intrigued by mystery? Most of the shows that are made have some element of mystery in them. Any good screenplay writer knows he's got to have some mystery in there to draw people in. It's because you were made to enjoy mystery. And you were made to enjoy the ultimate mysteries. And believer, you have access to the greatest mysteries that will thrill your soul and feed your soul and entice your mind. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this Christ is telling you what He is doing in the world today. He tells you this also to keep you humble. He says here in that verse 25, And so, for I would not have you ignorant brethren of this mystery. And He says this phrase here, Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Pride is so evil and wicked that we even see men, humanity, taking the great mysteries of Christ and turning them into these big grand institutions and taking pride in all the things that they have made. Institutions that call themselves churches in the name of Christ. He's telling you, don't be wise in your own conceits. This was mercy given you. Don't be ignorant of the mystery that God is the one doing this. How can you go through Romans 9, 10, and 11 and say that we had anything to do with it? It says that He's fitting vessels of wrath for destruction and vessels of mercy for everlasting joy. And that should cause us to tremble. He just finished saying, as we went over last time, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. These things are to keep us humble to keep us humble. humble. We should not be wise in our own conceits. Proverbs 26.5 Do you see someone wise in their own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. God is doing this. We are not. And we get to sit back and enjoy this grand theater of history by God's grace to understand what He is doing he also tells us these things that we might understand the times. In this verse he says that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. 
Now we don't see many Jews believing. Now is your time to receive mercy and rejoice and be wed to the lover of your soul. This until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in is speaking of a time. Until is a, a word that means in, uh, there's going to come a time and it's going to be over. We live in that great time right now. And once it's fulfilled, when the last appointed soul that God Almighty has assigned to be brought into the kingdom out of the Gentiles, there's going to be something wonderful happen. And he wants you to understand these times. He wants you to understand your time is now. Your time is now. Take advantage of your time. That is now. He wants you to also understand that He keeps His promises. In the next verse here, He says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. So He's quoting Old Testament here. The authority of the Old Testament, as it is written. And so all Israel shall be saved. That could be taken a couple different ways. You read the commentators on this. I, I know some would say that's talking about spiritual Israel. All of spirit, Well, that's true. All spiritual Israel will be saved, which is Jews and Gentiles. That's true. But if you go through the context here where he's talking, it's, he's specifically using the word Israel here as ethnic Israel. And when he says, so all Israel shall be saved, does that mean all Israel shall be saved? No. Well, we talked last time how for 2,000 years now, how many Jews have gone to the grave without grace? Behold, the severity of God. They rejected the Messiah. There were consequences to generations and generations of children that grew up in unbelief. Behold the severity of God. But towards you, goodness. Towards you, goodness. So this all Israel shall be saved. The verbs are future tense going through here. Everything looks like a future event going through this. I've read through John Gill. I didn't find a commentator that didn't believe that there's not a future wonderful something that's going to happen among Jewish people. And so all Israel shall be saved means in mass. It doesn't mean all and every one. There's going to be a great in mass salvation in Israel. And then he quotes to prove that and to prove what he's been saying from the Old Testament. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. He wants you to know he keeps his promises, so he's quoting promises from the Old Testament to show you that he's just proving to you exactly what had been promised all along. In verse 27, For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And there are several places that this similar promise occurs in the Old Testament. And if you take a look at it, it looks like Paul is kind of combining some of these together here. But if you look in uh, Isaiah 59 and 20, is the most common reference here. And it says this, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the mouth of your seed's seed, set the Lord from henceforth and forever. 
So there we have this promise, the Redeemer shall come. He came. That was fulfilled. And it says, Unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. So who does Christ come to? Those that turn. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, my words. He says, I put in your mouth, they won't depart out of your mouth. To who? Nor out of the mouth of your seed. That was the Jewish descendants. Nor out of the mouth of your seed, seed, said the Lord from henceforth and ever. That promise was made to Jew. So there's always going to be a Jewish believing remnant. And he told us that last time. He said that back in chapter 10 too. There's a remnant in Israel according to the election of grace. And Isaiah 11, 11 and 12 is another wonderful thing that we see in the scriptures. Speaking of Israel, he says, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now that promise was made with the dispersion to uh, Babylon. And uh, we see a pattern actually in the Old Testament that God would send them into captivity then bring them back. He would send them into captivity and then bring them back. And we see that over and over. And as I was thinking about that subject, uh, I looked up something for you. God is gathering back Israel from the four corners of the earth today, back to Israel. See if I can prove that to you. In 1950, after they became a nation again, there was a law of return that was passed in Israel. And the centrality of the idea was that, according to Old Testament prophecy, that the Lord would gather them back, the diaspora. And so that law created this framework that grants Israeli citizenship to Jews and their children immediately upon immigration. And that was expanded in 1970 to include the grandchildren of Jews too and their nuclear families, even if they weren't Jewish. So they have an immigration law. If you've got some kind of Jewish descendancy, you go back to Israel, you're immediately a citizen. There were some who have taken a look at this immigration of the Jews and actually mass immigration back to the Palestine area began back in 1882. And since the Declaration of Independence in 1948, more than 3 million Jews have made what they call Aliyah, the return. As of 2014... Israel and the occupied territories contain 42, almost 43% of the world's Jewish population is now back in Israel. In 2021, during pandemic, their immigration of Jews back to Israel increased by 31%. Where have you ever heard that take place before? I'm of Irish descent. I have never seen a mass return of Irish people back to Ireland or wherever your ancestors are from. How is it that this is happening in the world after they had no state and no nation for almost 2,000 years and now there's a mass migration of them all returning there? I don't know what the Lord is doing, but that is something that can't be explained apart from this book. I don't think it can. Is this not the preparation 
of this, what we're seeing here, that we're being taught in Romans chapter 11, where there will be a turning back to Messiah? Will your father, your lover of your soul, want you to know what's going on in the world today? I mean, this is exciting, isn't it, to think about that we could see them turn back to Christ? In Isaiah 45, 17, it says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. Isn't that great to read these texts? Think about this one also. Isaiah 59. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. The Redeemer shall come to Zion. There's going to be a great turn back, but it is talking to those that turn. To those and those only that turn from their sins does He come as Redeemer. I know the prayer in the Old Testament is, Lord, turn me and I shall be turned. We know we will not turn from our sin if He does not turn us. There shall come this Deliverer, that is Christ, who has come. He keeps His promises. Every promise we read about Christ has been kept. And we've got some more promises that we see that will be kept also. Think about it. There's going to come a day when He is going to top off all of these glorious, wonderful promises the appealing, the cake of His promises, He's going to ice it in a mass conversion of Jews in Israel. And the whole world will marvel. Consider that. If in the next six months went from being 2% professing Christian in Israel to 99% in six months, wouldn't that be amazing? If the world turned upside down by 12 men that Jesus taught, what would happen if none million Jews? It's a wonderful thing to consider that He is doing in the world today. Isaiah forty four twenty three. I found this one also, these prophecies. Speaking of Christ's coming and speaking of the promise made to Israel and to Abraham and Isaac and to their seed, their descendants. We're adopted children. We've been brought into this glorious reality for which we rejoice at this time of the Gentiles. In Isaiah 44, 23, he says, Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains. O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. I can just see that being heralded whenever that happens in Israel. He goes on here and said, God's calling and gifts are permanent. God's calling and election. God's gifts and calling of God are without repentance there in verse 29. What God does, He does permanently. When God established these covenants with Israel, they're permanent. When He made these promises to Abraham... That he would have a believing seed that would be numbered as the sand on the seashore. It's coming true. Both in us Gentiles adopted and also in Jewish believers 
God's calling and gifts are permanent. Permanent. They were made to Abraham and to the fathers and to their seed. And that is the faithfulness of your lover. He's wanting you to know what he is doing. He's wanting, he's, Paul is going back to the Old Testament saying, God is faithful. He's keeping his promises. You're going to see wonderful things that take place in the world as we already are in the salvation of the Gentiles. That's faithfulness. Isn't that great? We live in a, a day of unfaithfulness. It used to be when people and even business relationships were made on a handshake. I know that uh, the company I used to work for in McDonald's have never had a written contract. That was all done on a handshake. To this day, continues. We see today that a contract doesn't mean much of anything anymore. We live in a day of unfaithfulness. It is a great sin of our day in business. So, Just think about the social contract that the people of this country, we the people, made with the federal government. They violated it. They have violated that. Take a look at the numbers of marriage across the land. But how comforting it is to know that Jesus Christ is faithful to the end. That He is faithful to the end. We live in a day where we have great seductions and unfaithfulness in the land. But your lover wants you to know He's in control of history. Everything is heading in the right direction. The church is always successful. I read a story about a missionary and someone asked him about going to a dangerous country. And he said, I am immortal until my work is done for him. You see, he understood God was in control of history. God was in control of his life. He understood that God was in control to the point where I can go to a dangerous land because I'm immortal until he's done with me. And I can live that way. Perfect freedom from the fear of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? I'm going to live for Christ. Burn myself out for Christ. Because I know he is the one who's the author of of life and death. And He is the one who's writing history. Who's writing your history. And He wants you to know what He's doing in the world so that you can be comforted and know that He is faithful to keep His promises. You live in this time of mercy and your lover is showing you what He is doing in the world. And He summarizes that In verse 31, he says, Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they might obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. He mentions mercy three times there. That through your mercy. Through your mercy. So now they haven't believed. That's the day we live in. Why? That through your mercy they might obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. Imagine the day. Imagine anything more humiliating to a Jew, a Pharisee, than to have a former pagan, former uncircumcised Philistine to bring them the gospel. 
And their eyes be opened. And they say, we had it. We had him 2,000 years ago. And we rejected him. And they shall be pierced through when they shall see their Redeemer lifted up. When they behold him with eyes made new. What a rebuke Israel is receiving now. A 2,000 year rebuke. When they stood there and they said, would you rather have the murderer of Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, give us the murderer. And what about Jesus? I find no fault in him. The highest authority on earth that day said there's no fault in him. And they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They didn't know what they were saying. How can we explain the mass murder of Jews in the world apart from them calling that curse down on their head? Behold the severity of God. Behold the severity of God. But there's coming a day that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. They also may obtain mercy. Mercy. I would just point out to you here that when it says here, you have obtained mercy or they might obtain mercy, that, that's a passive verb. That's not something you can get. It's something that's given to you. You're passive in that. God is active in giving you this. When you obtain it, you, you look at it and you say, Why me, Lord? Chris Christofferson was right. That was a great song. Why me, Lord? Why would you? Give me such grace and mercy for the sinner that I am. What are we to do with that mercy? We're to show mercy back. We are to show mercy back. Through your mercy, they also might obtain mercy. We are to be merciful as He was merciful to us. As He pours mercy, continues to pour it into our life day by day, we should... Pour out that same mercy to others. And then he says, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Well, Paul's already been talking about that. He talked about that back in Romans 3. When he said, Concluded them all in unbelief, here it's saying that he's shut them all up and delivered them over to the power of unbelief. God has so ordered history to allow sin and wars and betrayals and ugliness and wickedness. He's allowed that to happen so that we would all be convinced that that choice that was made in the garden was the wrong choice. At the end of history, when the Lord finishes everything, there's not anybody that's going to be able to stand up and say anything. What does it say? Every mouth shall be stopped. And all the world will become guilty before God. God is not the author of sin, but He is allowing it in the world so that in the last day, we're going to realize separation from God and trying to be our own gods never works. It's suicide. It's destruction. He shut us up, all of us, 
that he might have mercy on all. The beauty and the brilliance of the diamond of God's mercy and love will be magnified behind the backdrop of the sin so that he might have mercy upon all who believe. The lover of your soul wants you to know that his mercy is free, that it's rich, and that you have no hope without it. He wants you to know what he's doing in the world to magnify his mercy. Paul, writing through this, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit and seeing these things that God is doing and the mercy that he has poured out on us, breaks out in verse 33 into worship and praise. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, things that we cannot understand. We don't understand everything about what He's doing in history. We can't pretend to know, but He wants you to know enough so that you might be amazed, that you might wonder at Him. This wonder of God's mercy and wisdom and knowledge is what has inspired two of the greatest fantasy writers to write fantasy. Uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Tolkien was amazed at the Gospels because they began and ended with joy. Think about that. The Gospel begins with the birth of Messiah. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. And in between, there in the end of the gospel, there is a lot of pain and suffering. And this Messiah came and He healed it and He healed it and restored and restored and saved. And some believed and some believed not. And then we had the crucifixion. But what what does it end with? It ends with resurrection, joy, the joy of birth, the joy of resurrection. And Tolkien was amazed by that joy and he said, this is the joy you experience in fantasy stories. It's a glimpse of the underlying truth or reality of the joy you were meant for. He went on to say that there's no tale that's ever been told that men would rather find true than the gospel. Do you believe that story is true today? Lewis also said this. He said, we at present are on the outside of the real world. The wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. You see the wardrobe and walking through the back of the wardrobe closet into the wonderful land of Narnia. They wrote that because they believed there was joy. Lewis writing there, you know, you can see the sun rising. You can see glorious mountains and all of this scenery and you see the purity and the wonder at it, but it's just, you want to get into that and, and you just can't. There's this sin nature we're in where we just, it won't purify us. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, he says there. We see them, we marvel at them, but we can't mingle with them. 
But one day we will. He called this world the Shadowlands. If this is the Shadowlands, can you imagine what the real is going to look like? I mean, this is pretty wonderful. But there's coming a day when we will step through and we shall get in. There's a portal, a door to the other side. You're going to die one day. All of this book and parents and love and gospel teaching is to prepare you for that day when you die. As you're on the way to that portal that leads to the other side, there are a thousand distractions. There are 3D, 4D, 5D screens all along the way to distract you with the wonders of entertainment, the wonders of movie stars, the wonders of athletes, the wonders of money. There's an enemy of your soul that wants you to turn aside off that narrow path. It's not easy. You're going to have to make sacrifices. Some things are going to have to be cast aside. But there is a doorway into a glorious reality of everlasting life. A new heavens and a new earth. And your lover wants you to know what he's doing in history and where you're headed so that you will not be frightened when you see wars and rumors of wars in the headlines. You live in this time of mercy. You live in this time of mercy. We live in the day when evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 But that's going to come to an end one day. So the Gospels begin and end with joy. Will your life end in joy? Will your life end in joy? How are we to use these truths that are before us this day? You should be amazed. You should be grateful. You should be humble. These things will help you in your walk of faith. I know there are some of you young people are here today and you're full of energy. You're at the start of your life. You think you're bulletproof? Probably think you know more than your parents already. I mean, I did too. I remember when I was that age. I thought bell-bottom pants and platform shoes were cool. But as we look back on the 70s, we realize that wasn't cool at all. I'm telling you, there is an age right now going on of tattoos, pierced everythings, and all kinds of stuff going on in this world that everybody thinks is cool. It's not cool. The Lord says in 1 Peter 3, what's really beautiful is your heart. Beautify your heart. Beautify your spirit. Don't be distracted by all of these things along the way. Don't be distracted along the way. Americans. You know, I know some years ago, Brother Jerry said this, and there was a man and his wife who left the church because he said this, America is not the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't being unpatriotic. He's just pointing out the truth. We are citizens of another kingdom. 
We are citizens of heaven. We need to live here. We need to be good Americans. We need to vote. We need to be salt and light. We need to do everything we can to preserve this country. And the best way to do that is with gospel truth and people that are living transformed lives as the beacons of hope for this world. So I pray that God would bless these words to you this day and that you might understand that God made Christ to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. That we get to live our lives now in the power of a resurrected life. Who wouldn't want that? We get to live now as if we had never sinned. We can live that way and fight sin. He made Him to be sin for us so that we might have hope. That is the truth of the gospel. I hope that you have come to trust that. You know, there comes a time when every person called by grace, children of grace, got to come to the point where they close the deal with Christ or we, where He closes the deal with you. There comes that time where you've got to get on your knees. You've got to get on your faith and say, I believe this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for calling me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There comes a time when you've got to do that. If there's any who have not done that, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you to do that today. Now is the day of salvation. Until the time of the Gentiles is over, it's not going to last forever. There's going to come a day when the door is going to close. Now is the day of salvation. I'm an ambassador sent here to persuade you. Don't wait another minute. Christ said in the communion table we do, He said, do this in remembrance of me. That's a command. Don't you want to be intimate with this lover of souls? Don't you want him to whisper sweet nothings to you? Don't you want that kind of joy and peace and love in your life? Then obey him. Do what he says. All those who believe and are baptized shall be saved according to Jesus. And those who believe not shall be damned. May God bless his word.